Hello, I'm Edwina Johnson, Director of Byron Writers Festival. You're listening to a podcast of the session Humour in Fiction, How to Hit the Funny Bone, featuring Tony Jordan and Barbara Toner in conversation with Mandy Nolan, recorded live at the 2019 Byron Writers Festival. For more information about the festival, please visit byronwritersfestival.com. It's lovely to be here today. I, I just wanted to share something because we are in the Ferros tent and it, it is, you know, and Ferros do some amazing, <laughs> it's going to be good today, amazing work in creating language. <laughs> amazing work in, um, in like redefining ageing and breaking through a lot of stigmas. And I, I got this fabulous email the other day from a friend of mine who had just turned 78 and it said, she said, I've just put out to the universe for one last direct penis before I die. Uh, and it's turned up with the name of Gary. Uh, I, went th- I just went, oh, I'm going to get that tattooed. <laughs> one last direct penis before I die. What a mantra. Um, so anyway, this is this. We're talking about humour um, today. It's it's our session. Oh my god, I want my glasses. How to hit the funny bone? So I would say, have you ever been reading a book? You know, you're on a plane and you've got a book, and it's, it's kind of like you should never read a funny book on a plane because do you know when you're like you're you're sort of sitting on your own and then you're like, <laughs> and you just look insane. Um, that's what these women will do to you. Um, <laughs> Look insane. <laughs> Look insane. Yeah. They'll have you laughing. And it's quite something to, to write a book which actually, which causes someone to experience great, you know, sort of bursts of laughter and, and you know, hilarity when, the, when, they're, um, when they're reading um, because you are sharing it very much with yourself. So we have just an immediately on my, my left is Tony Jordan. She's the author of five novels, including her last, a literary mystery, Fragments, which isn't actually a humorous book. Oh. I was reading that going... I don't think this is funny. Not, uh, <laughs> no, no jokes. And I'm on that so one. glad you told me it wasn't because I went, oh, <laughs> that's your other book. Her international yeah. bestseller edition was edition was long listed for the Miles Franklin Literary Award. She's also an author of the very funny relationship fast, which I really loved. Our tiny useless hearts. Um, so please make Tony welcome. Thank you. And Barbara. On the end, that Barbara Tyner is the author of 15 books, fiction and non-fiction. Her novels are much admired comedies of manners about women triumphing over adversity. Generally, um, generally the adversity is men, I think. Uh, <laughs> that tends yep. to be the adversity we like to triumph over. In books like Four Respectable Ladies Seek the Meaning of Husband, she just has heaps of fun um, and, you know, really, really great reads, both both of these books. That's, that's the other one. That's the, that's the Meaning of Wife. That's the next one after that. So please make Barbara welcome. I, I just want to ask you first, as we get going, because we, we were talking about backstage, about how when you talk about humour, it's, it's like singing about architecture. It's really not funny. So we're going to try and talk about humour without boring you shitless. Uh, because we're not going to, we're going to talk about lots of different things. Isn't that right? Yes, but first, yeah. I want to know, what's, do you have a favourite book, funny book? Like, is there a book that you've read that it's, what's your, when, you, when you're having a benchmark for, for, for funny, when you're, when you're writing, what's the funniest book you've read? Is that too hard? Yeah, it is a bit too hard. Um, it is hard, isn't uh, it? Yeah, it is. But if I, the go-to book. The Bible? <laughs> for jokes. <laughs> For murder mystery, yeah. Bible. Yeah. But um, I think... Um, <laughs> nice one, Barbara. <laughs> you set them up and she rolls it home. <laughs> I think it, it, I do go back to the classics, though. So I'd yeah. go back to my Jane Austens or I'd go back to my um, Brideshead's or... You know, for me, Catch-22 was the defining book of my generation because yeah. I'm very, very old indeed. And um, <laughs> that was so brilliant that I can go back to that and just still be awestruck by how clever it was. I am also quite old indeed. I'm kind of partway between can you please turn that music down and has anyone seen my glasses? <laughs> and I find that the classics really are fantastic and Cold Comfort Farm particularly. Does everyone remember? Yeah. Oh, look, like a, that, was a, when you said that, people went, oh, yes. Isn't it hilarious? All those kind of old funny books are hilarious. 
Oh, well, there you go. So tell me too, like we're talking also about why write humour? Like when you have an idea, how do you know how you're going to distill it? Like you, it's really a choice where how it's going to go. So I'd love to know from both of you why you choose humour and when you don't choose humour. I always choose humour because I can't stand the sound of my own voice being serious. It's, <laughs> I don't have enough serious or intelligent thoughts <laughs> to um, put them into a book. So it's much easier for me to think, I know, and um, in the um, part-time husband and meaning of wife books, I decided I'd have the voice of an elderly gentleman who was faintly bemused by the world and didn't really understand women, which kind of explains me. <laughs> and I think I am that person trapped inside my rather shriveled body. I am an elderly gentleman. And, uh, <laughs> That's so, a new gender. <laughs> look, it's, I'm fluid. That's great. You are fluid. <laughs> I'm fluid, yeah. Um, but uh, it's for me, that's a really comfortable way to um, approach any subject, really. And um, because I find most things absurd, especially myself, then um, that's the way I write, and I'm really comfortable with it, and it's fun. Yeah. What about, what about for you, Tony? For me, the hardest part of the whole writing process is coming up with ideas. I know... Because you can't write without one. I hope... <laughs> I've, I've given it a good go <laughs> on occasion. Um, Barbara will, I'm sure, tell you that she has lots of ideas because she's an idea person. I'm not. So if I get an idea and it's funny, I have no option but to run with it because it might be years till I get another one. <laughs> or if I get an idea that's serious, the same thing. I've yeah. got to make the most of it. So I don't really have the luxury of choosing. So how does the idea happen? Like you're on the toilet having a poo or something? <laughs> or like when, when does... The idea hit. When, 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 can you tell me a couple of times, like, obviously it's going to be in different places. Yeah. I can tell you exactly yeah, how you? I got. With the, um, for respect to a lady seek part-time husband, everybody denies this. I spend my life having stories about my life and people say, that didn't happen. And I go, but it did. I was there. And they go, no, it didn't happen. Anyway, I was out to, for coffee with my four friends and we were chatting away about how hopeless our husbands were and um, about, you know, my one can't build a shed. My one can't pay the bills. My one kind of. I said, we actually need a part-time husband. And on the way home from that, I thought, oh my god, yeah, that is such a good notion for a story. And you take you take four ladies, and they all have this part-time husband, and chaos will ensue. <laughs> it has to. It is a really. And I was reading that, thinking this is a good idea. <laughs> Truly it is. <laughs> I know, just a part-time one. You don't want a full-time. You just want someone to do... My friend has a thing about her... When she meets a guy, she looks at him and she, she, his, her way of assessing him is she goes, can he dig a hole? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and if she doesn't like a guy, she just says, he couldn't dig a hole. Uh, <laughs> my hairdresser said to me that he thinks that marriage should be a leasehold arrangement. So you uh, you don't oh. forget till their oh. part. You go like okay. a renewal. Like it's a have great to idea. Renewal. You do it like ten a year, ten year with like th a ten year option or something exactly. Like that. <laughs> wow, and, uh, I'd love open. to see the inspections. <laughs> 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 Gee, that's changed. <laughs> you might want to put a poster over that. <laughs> I think it's a very very good idea, and I'd be really happy to draw up the contracts for anybody who, who's in. <laughs> I think we could be quite specific about a few things that are important. <laughs> that is really good idea though because it's a different model isn't yeah. it it's, yeah and yeah. i think the old ones had it yeah yeah <laughs> the old ones oh it's about three yeah. oh, um. so tony what about you with your ideas what can you can you tell not obviously maybe just one little instance of where it just kind of when that idea that you have to hang on to yeah. when it turned up so for this book i um it's kind of a combination of two things. I'm really in love with Moliere, like the French playwright, and I love all that very absurd kind of stuff. So this book is – it's a bedroom farce. Oh, isn't it ever? And it's <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of that old-fashioned, you know, people caught with their pants down in the wrong bedroom hiding in cupboards from their spouse. There's a great scene you know? in that. Do you know can, – can you tell them the scene? You know when – Someone has a lie down at her sister's house yep. and then someone accidentally comes through the window. Because the sister has a bit of a secret lover, so he's going to surprise all, the he sister. He can't dig a hole, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, he cannot dig a hole. But he kind of cl climbs in bed and discovers it's another woman and um, so they kind of... But does not up. stop. Yeah, and then his <laughs> wife shows up and then her ex-husband shows up. So it's one of these kind of... I love that very absurd thing. There used to be a... There was a movie called... 
Boeing Boeing from the 50s with Tony Curtis. Some of you are nodding. And it was just, it killed me at the time about Tony Curtis was like a pilot and it was at the time that jets were introduced. So um, he had this perfect setup where it took him a certain amount of time to fly, took everyone a long time to fly. So he had an apartment and he had three fiancés who were all flight attendants. And so the Russian one would go off on her, you know, goodbye darling and kiss him, go off on her trip. And he would pull her photo off the wall and take her undies out of the drawer and put in the Irish girl's thing and she would arrive from her long-haul flight. And then... um, Of course, Boeing introduces jet engines. Everything happens more quickly. The three girls show up at the one time. They all think they live there with him. And it's kind of this process of negotiation. And I always wanted to do something, a really absurd kind of bedroom fast where people were not mistaken identity and all that kind of thing. I Mm. love all that ridiculous stuff. It is is great. And it was quite funny because everyone's having an affair with someone else. (laughs) In that book, and I went, This is Mull and Bimby. <laughs> and they kind of all hang out together. Like they, they stay, you know, when that usually they should go, but they all just stay in the house together because they're all bound together. I went, That is Mull and Bimby. That's, that's, it's like one of the Steiner School PNC meetings. <laughs> I'm only joking. I'm not but sure how you could have. <laughs> How can you I've write about sex, though? How can you write about sex without... I can't do serious... I don't know yeah. how to do serious sex. I mean, how... how have you written... Have you... Have, what is it like writing about sex? Can I you, can't. I mean, I don't know how to do it unless it's a joke. The penis is a joke in the first... Can you say penis? Yeah. The whole... Th- oh, no, well, I can say penis. <laughs> you say penis really nice. Yeah. Like, you go, penis. Um, but but to it, actually do... Write a, a serious sex scene where, you know, his um, hands are exploring her self-filthy bits. I mean, really... No, I serious sex. I sometimes write serious sex. Actually, once I was at a festival in Adelaide and I I just released a book that had a serious sex scene in it and my husband had come to the festival and this hardly ever happens, like he's not here now, but maybe if we could all agree not to tell him I'm telling this story, can we just, any of you know my husband, we'll just keep it between us. So we're in the tent and he's sitting down the back row and it comes to the question time and Somebody stands up and says, you know, says very nice things about the book and says, I particularly love the sex scenes. They're really excellent sex scenes. And I can see him down the back kind of sitting a bit taller and he's looking a bit kind of chuffed with himself. And then the woman goes on to say, but they're quite short really, aren't they? And he kind of, he sinks back down. <laughs> Right, so that sort of leads on to the question of when you are writing, how much of people in your life do you use to draw on for characters? Like, and do people ever see themselves in your in your book? Like, everybody thinks they can see themselves. Do they? Yeah, but of course they can't because I think that most novels draw entirely on themselves. Yeah, and so we're all multi personalities and you just draw on that bit of yourself to be that character. And I, that's the easiest thing to do because with each character you're writing, you have a complete comprehension of this character. You understand them completely. And if you were writing about somebody else, you wouldn't particularly. Sometimes I physically can see a person that I know and think, oh, yeah, that kind of works. But in terms of how they might act and how they respond, it's, it's all about me. <laughs> it is all about <laughs> Why are relationships so funny too? Because you've both written this. In a sense, they're both... Oh, we got some glasses. Yeah. Um, farcical in that way mm. and and they're really centered around you know relationship and expectation and and that that ideal of what we thought we were going to get and what we got yeah. uh, so, so why why do we laugh so much at that do you think why is it so funny I mean has it been funny for you in your own life and your own experiences of relationships like do you just look at your husband and go fuck you're funny uh, <laughs> I, I think we can safely say no <laughs> He's more likely to say, you think you're the funny one in this relationship. Oh, does he? Yeah. Mine is exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, bastards. Anyway. (laughs) I I think, actually, it's just an eye for the absurd. And it's it's when you walk into any situation and think, see the quirky element of it. You were asking earlier about, um, when we were talking backstage, about embarrassing moments. And I'm thinking, actually, I don't have very many embarrassing moments. Because, by and large, you expect it to be absurd. Mm. And you mm. deal with the absurdity of it, 
I have shame afterwards when I, because I have no filter, and, um, and I try and suck the words back after they've been said and it's too late. Ah. And then the next day I want to be sick. But that's not... <laughs> But you have to have that. You can't be funny. I have that. Every, I wake up like that every day. Yeah. yeah. And if, yeah. because if you don't have a filter, you can't be funny. People with filters are awful, <laughs> uh, aren't they? They're so appropriate. Oh. That's what I liked about these two. They had no. We hadn't met before. We were talking about designing a poo app <laughs> backstage, like an app to work out when you do a poo. Like, what time is it? Oh, I forgot to go. What does it say on my app? <laughs> no filters. <laughs> Yep, yep. That's not a first meeting conversation <laughs> with people with filters and that's how you know they're funny because they'll have that conversation in, at breakfast. <laughs> yeah, don't you find, Mandy, that if you don't have a filter, it's a hit and miss, you know. Oh, yeah. 20% of people think you're funny. The 80% are going... <sighs> oh, yeah. They, yeah. Have, you, have, have you found look, people often think I'm offensive because I, I am a little bit... Um, <laughs> Have, have you had that happen? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that happened a few years ago. Actually, at this very festival, I was in one of the other tents and um, uh, we were talking about, um, the panel was about relationships and the two other people on the panel with me had children and I don't have any children. And the interviewer asked them about their children and then asked me why I don't have oh. children. And I, that's kind of like I don't like when people ask me that. Yeah. So I said to her, um, I guess I just can't get enough of that backdoor loving. <laughs> and, <laughs> that's and I, that's you know, I thought, awesome. Possibly I should not have said that in front of a tent full of people that I don't know. Tony, that is a tweet. Uh, <laughs> For any woman who hasn't had children that has been asked that question, we need to come up with ten responses to really put the other person in their place. That's a really offensive. It's an offensive question. Yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of nice. And I work. thought, I still, I should not have said that. That was not the thing. To say. No, I would oh. have been really happy with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really would have. I would have gone home going, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Because isn't that the worst thing when you do that thing where you – it is that thing where you, someone says something and you wish you could have – like you think of it as you're leaving and you're going, I'm back in the car, I'm going back and saying it. <laughs> in a sense, writing humorous books gives yeah. you a chance to back yes. up the car and yes. say it, doesn't it? Have, have you done that in, in, in your books? Have you had a chance to say things? Like I do that continually. And it, actually, I, someone had told me – I didn't realise this, but someone told me that in French there's a word for this and it's – I don't know, some of you probably know this, like it means of the staircase or from the staircase. Someone's saying yes. Um, and it means the thing you think to say when you're already home and nearly in bed. Yeah. And it, it's a thing. <gasps> and when you're writing, you can go back. You can go back to, oh, I know what she should say now and go back and sit in front of the computer. It's oh, great. That is great. Yeah. I just love the French. Does anyone know what the actual word is? What is oh, it? Esprit, Esprit d'escalier, people. Oh, that sounds like a name of a book, doesn't yeah. it? It's so great. Or a child. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could. Just, here is my son. Here he is. Esprit. I got to the top of the staircase and I forget where I put him. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh, God, this is fun. Um, <laughs> Did you say this wouldn't be funny, this session? Yeah, I said it won't be funny. We'll be talking about humour and how to make it. Um, but we're, we're quite funny, um, as it turns out. <laughs> but we're... actually, you were asking earlier about it, and I think you were saying um, in your, in, when you're structuring your story, do you actually have an I No, you didn't do this. I'm just making up your question. You I make it you up. you said. <laughs> yeah. What, how do you structure the humorous scenes in your book? Yeah. And I think you do it unconsciously, and I think it's all about subverting your situation. So mm. you, people think that they're going to go along and the woman's going to say something absolutely fantastic, and she doesn't. She says exactly the opposite. And particularly if you're writing about um, female relationships, women are not that nice to each other. You know, they're, um, they're quite no. nice. They're, they're quite supportive, but, but then the minute they go, they go... <laughs> Isn't that true? Don't we see a friend Barbara, and you get in the car? No, but I really, really true. like. I really like you, Tony. I don't. Uh, just do you know? Go get in the car and go. Gee, she's looking old. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly that's awful. Like, but we all yeah. we all do it, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. 
Wouldn't I, you love... Is there a French word for what your friends say about you in the car? Yes. <laughs> I know what it would be. It would be esprit behind your back. <laughs> That's true. Do you know what's incredibly important too, and I think people don't realise with humour, and you both do this really well, is you have to build tension. Yeah. Because without tension and and serious te- and yep. serious, yep. Um, the stakes have to be serious. So I'd l- I'd love you to talk a little bit too about ha- how you craft that because you've crafted a whole town. You've yeah. everything happens almost in one room. It's like a room, a living room farce. Yep. But you've created a place called Prospect. This whole place I have to create this this part time Just down there, around five miles. <laughs> I built it with my own hands. It was really fabulous doing that. I mean, you do have a sense of um, godlikeness, I think it probably is, <laughs> where, where you can control this entire circumstance. Mm. You, you've got your characters, and I actually had to draw it. And in the, I, I know there's a the map. Well, that's because everybody was so confused, and they were saying, I don't understand what you're talking about here. Can we do a drawing? So, so there's a drawing in there of where, of where, you, where the shops are, where the people live, and how they are with each other. Yeah. And um, it was really a very interesting... Oh, there we there are, it the is. map. She has made Mullumbimby. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it was really good to do it. And it meant that you could have an overview of how people would be with each other. And, and if they were going to go somewhere, they could take 10 minutes during which time they could think something, you know, so as opposed to you having to go boom. Because you're boom. creating a world, yeah. aren't you? And that's, that's what um, is, is quite amazing. Is it hard doing that? Because I've only ever written memoir. I've written four because I've got so much life. Uh, <laughs> And I often wonder, what, what kind of wanker has four memoirs? Like, I've put them on a shelf, so look at my shelf growing with me four memoirs. I'm embarrassed. Um, but I've got another one. Uh, <laughs> no, but, it, you know, when you write a memoir, it's... It, when you write a memoir, it sounds like, but, but when you're writing fiction, it's so immersive in that world, mm. in those characters. I, how do you... How do you come in and out and still keep that continuity of who they are? But you can see it in your head. It's like um, replaying a newsreel. So you, oh, okay. you're actually watching it and you are reporting so it. So it's visual for you? Very visual, reporting at the scenes. But that's for me. That's how you, that's your process. Yeah. For me, it's like p- playing Barbies when I was eight. You know, they, they talk to each other and they go places. <laughs> and they, I'm just sitting on the bedroom floor playing Barbies when I was eight. That's exactly what the process is. And... And drawing characters too, because the other thing is you've got to create, as you said, you've got to create flawed characters, people, because nobody likes people with everything right with them, do they? You go, we like people that are broken and wrong and flawed, isn't it? And everybody is a bit. I mean, and in fact, if you're going to write about the absurd, you can't have your character being completely perfect unless that's the absurdity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then her overriding and overweening need to be perfect is hilarious. Mm. Yeah. So, but yeah. if you've got somebody, I, I couldn't do it anyway because I'd find them repulsive and I couldn't live with them for a year. I know. You could. Can you both, I'd love you both to pick two women, not in the audience. Uh, <laughs> oh, it went a bit strange when Mandy said pick two women. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's a different Just got my eye out now that you <laughs> Tinder's broken. Uh, <laughs> do you know, last sorry, do you know, because this is so rude, like Tinder, like when Splendour was on, they created a special app just for people at Splendour so they could hook up. But did they create one for you people? Uh, the special uh, writers' festival uh, app of Tinder? What an opportunity. No. You know, imagine, but what would it be called? Ashes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next app after the poo app. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, we're just coming up with stuff all the time. Um, I'd like you to pick two of your female characters that you've written yep. and and tell us a little bit about each one, like two, just two each because okay. they're just fabulously Good. drawn characters. Um, well, my main character, her name is Janice and she's kind of the normal one, the relatively normal one in the family. So I quite liked having her as a sort of sensible centre, staring at all these bizarre um, occurrences and she starts having to lie to protect other people's marriages and then she gets in deeper and deeper. So I quite like her as kind of having yeah. a centre. Do you like people who lie to protect other people's marriages? It's, it's, a, great, it's a great thing, isn't it? It's nice. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Yeah. Yes. 
But she's she also um, I gave her a job that I used to have. So I used to be a microbiologist, and um, I, it sounds bizarre, doesn't it? I used to be a microbiologist, and I gave her the job of a microbiology job I used to have. Yeah, because you, you can't give characters jobs you don't know because it really yeah, shows, that's doesn't really it? <laughs> so I gave her the job of a stock culture collection librarian, which is a job I had for a long time. It's really sexy. It is. It when was you sexy, said that, I went, but you I could turn seen, it. The thing that makes it <laughs> sexy is the boots and the hair cover and the lab coat. You have to have, yeah, you've got to be all kind yes, of Yes, all covered up. because you don't want to, like, spread Ebola to everybody. <gasps> so it's, all like, all covered right, that's up. That's serious. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so I gave her this job. Um, so she spends all day in this little metal room like I used to do um, and so that's kind of her serious side yeah beautiful mm. okay well, well in um, because I've got four respectable ladies um, the, the slut in it is called Louisa <laughs> and um, she is everything I ever wanted to be <laughs> I love how you have you've written your slut yeah oh and she's fantastic she has absolutely horrible responses to every single situation. So whenever she's got a moral scruple, you know she's going to go the wrong way. I, and I think, yeah, it's me, me. That's she's great because she's really awful. I really yeah. liked her. Oh, I yeah. liked her. Yeah, and, and because she's beautiful and um, uh, without conscience, I mean, wouldn't that be brilliant? But it's not, she's not just without conscience. It's like it doesn't even occur to her to think in any other way. No, she doesn't. It's just like... Well, there's only one option. Like, she doesn't even see the other But it's option. the me option, hmm. isn't it? It's always the me option. And, and so I had to set her against um, a character called Pearl, who is also more me, sadly, which is very controlling and bossy and always right. And there's no question that, you know, I bet you 80% of the women here are always right. And we know we're always right because we'd be wrong if we said we mm. were not right. Isn't that... That's and right. isn't it tedious having to listen to someone <laughs> knowing that you... There's no point. No. It's a waste of time. Just prattling I, on. You're going, oh, well. Yeah. So Pearl is um, kind of the conscience of the book, except she is so deeply flawed herself because she is almost one-eyed in her own way as Louisa is because it's my way or the highway with Pearl and she thinks she's always right. Louisa doesn't give a stuff whether she's right or wrong. It's just about me. And so it's quite nice having that sort of counterbalance between your characters and the other two fit in around it. One's a bit dilly and silly and, and gets it a bit wrong and the other's a really hard, gritty, ambitious young woman. Actually, I think, I think I'm really hurt. No, I think I'm all hurt. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the thing also about writing about relationships in, in a humorous way is that when you're in the middle of all this turmoil, it's not funny, right? It's yeah. so heartbreaking and th that's why I really like writing about this kind of thing from a light perspective because it's a reminder to people, okay, now it seems like the end of the world. It truly does. But in 12 months' time it'll feel better and in five years' time it'll be a dinner party story and then you'll be able to reclaim it by humour. That's the way we five reclaim years. these I, No, I, five years. It takes me one day to process this. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a super but fast processor. You'll get through it is what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, you know, you will get through it. Do you know and when you meet people, because I don't know if you're like this, do you know there's always that woman in your friendship group who still harks on about something that happened 25 years ago yeah. and you're going, oh, let go. No wonder he left. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she I'd leave too. But it's the distance that makes things funny. I think um, Mel Brooks, the American comedian, yeah. understood this about distance and humour. I think he said something like, tragedy is when I cut my finger, humour is when you fall into an open sewer and die. <laughs> and to me that really encapsulates the idea of how humour comes from the distance that you put... It does, doesn't it? And it, it comes from... I had this one thing happen because I've had many husbands and... My first I've had many husbands as well. Have you? Yeah, I've had three. How and many? I have, you have had? been a microbiologist. Oh. <laughs> Look, I've got a husband going spare if you'd like another. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this happened once. I, I've sort of used a little bit of in I've never really put it in my comedy because it felt a bit weird. Because the first husband was was a heroin addict, right? So really good. I went, oh, he's a stayer. Uh, <laughs> You know, he always, you know, he was always around. It was good. Um, <clears throat> you know, he's very sleepy. Uh, <laughs> and so when I left that relationship, 
after I, you know, tried, you know, to change him. Um, <laughs> clearly, I had to change him into someone else. Um, and that didn't work, right? And I don't know if you know, I don't know if you're a heroin using crowd, but what... <laughs> Just telling you for the background, it's a short story. But what... What they say when you're going to score, the score language, because you've got to get the drugs, you don't go to the pharmacy. Um, it's not the 20s um, to get heroin. So you, they, you hear them say stuff like, can I get on, right? And that's, that you know now, if you want to score heroin in the park, you just go, can I get on today? So when I had the second husband and he moved in, I had said to him, I said, if you have any drug issues, you have to tell me because that's it. I'm not going through this again, blah, 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 right? And I hear him on the phone because I'm suspicious because I've got trust issues. I'm spying. Um, and I hear him on the phone. He's going, yeah, I'm just ringing to see if I can get on today. And I'm like, throw the door open. How dare you? And he's just holding the phone. He goes, I'm on the phone to the golf course. <laughs> I went, that's worse. <laughs> Like, it's a terrible story, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. But do, do you think we laugh at ourselves enough? Do you laugh too at much, actually. Yeah. No, I think that, not enough. Yeah, well, I think I'm much more inclined to not take things seriously enough. Mm. And one of my children used to say, um, when she, she, she's grown up to be a very funny person, but she said, so why do you turn everything into a joke? It's all very serious, Mum. You cannot make everything into a joke. And I now see that actually it was a probably brutal thing that I did to her by going, come on. Look at the funny slide. <laughs> You know, it's a razor blade. Yeah. <laughs> Is that true? Like she got really upset that you never. She got took upset for joking too much. Yeah, and, but it did kind of calm me down a little bit, thinking you, it isn't always hilariously funny, and it just means you're a very shallow person. <laughs> you ever do that when you look at their report cards? Go. <laughs> but I'm also a very shallow person. Maybe that's something else we have in common. Well, it's very attractive. It is. It's easy. I sleep very well. You know. It's oh, that's another book, isn't it? It's like, it, it is. It's the importance of being shallow. Yeah. Oh. It is. Not Ernest. No. <laughs> no. Fuck Ernest. Yeah. If you look at your value system, you think, actually, where, really, if I really want to be the best person I can be, what do I start with? And you go, you're shallow. But it's also invigorating. I mean, it's exhausting taking things so serious all the time. It's exhausting. And that's why people give up on things, give up on causes, because they feel so frustrated because nothing's happening. And, and I think humour is essential as a life skill because it's the thing that gives whatever you're interested in longevity and it means that you can it's a very powerful kind of tool you can laugh at people in positions of power and I think it's really important mm. but actually um, having said all that stuff about shallow Quentin Crisp said just because I'm laughing doesn't mean I'm not serious yeah yeah and it's I do very think serious. that's true I do think most people who um, use humor as a way of expressing their innermost thoughts really have a serious intent and um, I used to write a column for a newspaper in the UK, and it went on for years and years and years, and people just got so sick of it. But, um, <laughs> uh, but, but um, at the nub of every column was what I used to call a universal truth, because I'm also a wanker as well as shallow. And um, th there'd be a rather profound thought, and you'd have to try and work your humour around it. But there was something serious to be said. And that was why it became funny, because you were starting with something very serious and you were trying to say, I'm going to illustrate this point by joking. Mm -hmm. And it's what I actually do believe is that humour is quite powerful as well as shallow. Absolutely. I think it's, it's a way of making um, a very profound point without hammering somebody over the head with it. I think it's true. Yes. Got, we've got a clap there. Oh, Someone thanks. Yeah, we've got a yeah. clap oh. coming in there. We've got four over there coming in there. We've got more people coming in there with more class people resounding agreeing with you. Can we all clap? Oh, come on, everyone clap. <laughs> you know, because in humour, what happens because I'm in, um, oh, my bra's breaking. Uh, sorry, no filter. Uh, one of the things that I teach comedy as well and I and, and one of the things you sort of teach people is that because it's two things I always say, it's the setup. And it's the funny bit, the serious bit and the funny bit. Like, and everyone focuses on the funny bit, mm -hmm. but it doesn't exist without the serious bit. Yeah, exactly. It's, it will, it's like... It's, it's a like, counterpoint. It's a counterpoint. Like the mm. funny bit just happens because you've got the serious bit yeah. just right. And if you get that sentence right, right at the beginning, if you get that kind of idea right, before people laugh, that's the serious bit, they'll go, oh, that's so true. 
and that's sometimes yeah. better than a laugh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's true. And but then you subvert it. I mean, in um, these books, I did invent some comic characters who were there to be comic. Mm-hmm. And it was because I knew I wanted to say quite serious things. Yeah. Mm. But I needed to have somebody who could actually reflect the serious thing in a comic way without, again, overplaying your hand. And they were really, really good fun to write. So tell me about those characters. Well, they're in, in this book, it's the mayor. Oh. I could tell it was the mayor. <laughs> and his wife. And his wife is called Florence Mabry. And um, she's hilarious, I think. She, well, I wrote her. <laughs> <laughs> she has to be hilarious. <laughs> It was brilliant. And she spoke with a funny little voice, didn't she? Yeah, she got a lisp. And she's an enormous woman who thinks that um, the lisp somehow makes her more feminine. But it's it, not a real lisp. It's not it? a real lisp. No, it just makes her spit. She just... <laughs> so she decided to speak with a lisp. <laughs> and then she gets the lisp a bit wrong and she can't work out where the yes actually does have to become a th. So she would go mullen wimby. <laughs> But she, but she was very good fun to write. That's great. Yeah. So, that, yeah, that, that's, they, they're your devices, I guess. Do, they do, were, yeah. Do you, do you use humorous devices in, in your... That sounds wrong. Do you use humorous <laughs> yeah, devices at I home? Humorous <laughs> devices. And the key is cleanliness. You've got to disinfect your humorous devices between... <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible. Uh, I have to take a breath. So, wh- what about... Um, we're talking a little bit, and I know, I know you said you don't, you don't have embarrassing experiences. Maybe you caused them. Uh. <laughs> well, I, but I think there's a difference between embarrassment and shame. I think it's far more yeah. profound. So I, I can go, oh, God. I, I used to wake up in the morning and go to work at my desk and try and squeeze into the wall to escape the memory of the night before because it was so shameful. And it's because if, I mean, I don't know how many people here don't have a filter, but it's actually, it's a handicap. <laughs> There's a few you know, people, your hands went up. It is weird. And you, um, you hear yourself. I'm going to tell Okay, here is a really deeply shaming thing I said. Great. Okay. <laughs> Lean in. <laughs> but it is so horrible, I can't tell you. Oh. So <laughs> I Come went on. to stay with a friend of mine who's newly widowed. Yeah. And um, I was there to make her feel better about herself. And I was staying with her in Wales. And she came down for dinner. And the mistake she made was to invite one other person there. So it was just going to be a cosy dinner for us, but she invited a friend. And that is a mistake because then I've got an audience. <laughs> it's a, I can't tell you. I'm feeling sick even as I'm telling you the story. So the friend's there. And then I noticed that Maureen, my widowed friend, was wearing some pants that had a lattice thing all the way down her bum. And I'd said something already to the, to the general company, and the woman there had laughed, the extra guest had laughed and laughed, and I thought, I'm onto a winner here. <laughs> so I looked at the lattice work going down on my friend's bum, and I said, is that for ease of anal sex? <laughs> <laughs> now, it just wasn't fucking funny. <laughs> it was really, really horrible. <laughs> anyway, the woman who had laughed before went... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and so I laughed, Yeah. <laughs> But afterwards, I really wanted to die. And it's a really difficult thing to retract. So you say, you know how I said that thing about anal sex? <laughs> well, I really wish I hadn't. Yeah. What I meant was, <laughs> it was a metaphor. <laughs> uh, well, kind I of like gonna... Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. <laughs> it, was, it was the Congo. I, uh, I wish Hertz I had gotten that route. <laughs> You know, you, you cannot stop the mouth once you can't. it's gone. You know, and it's out of control. And you so, and it's like the rest of your body is chasing your mouth around the room. I know, and you're just <laughs> digging that hole. I, I truly don't feel any, you know, a lot of this thing because I think I, I actually think I'm invisible. <laughs> I think Good. that, um, you know, I'm of that age and sort of grey, older kind of person. I honestly think in 10 minutes' time, none of you will know who I am. Like, I'll run into you in the coffee queue and you'll go, oh, hello, and you'll have no memory of me. I feel completely invisible, like I can do whatever I want and no one will ever remember me. Wow. I'm really interested. Who here says clangers and wakes up with the shame? Just put your hand up. Oh, there you go. Hurrah. See? That. lots. <laughs> oh, you've got friends. <laughs> See, Barbara? See, I love in your story, that my, one of the key parts of your story early on was 
um, when you talked about your friend inviting someone over and you went, that was the mistake she made. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was her fault. It was her fault. <laughs> she was really... You are shallow. I am. <laughs> I am. That's how shallow you are. You go, oh, here, comes, here comes a nice new person, audience. <laughs> Not, I wonder what her story is. I wonder if she's a widow. <laughs> Here we are, all widows together. Yeah. <laughs> Not she'll laugh. I bet she'll laugh if I say anal sex. Because <laughs> we all know widows love anal. <laughs> well, that's, well. That's a tweet. Invisible people. <laughs> yeah. Clearly. <laughs> Invisible, childless people. Anal. <laughs> I can't wait to see a few tweets of this from the Writers Festival. <laughs> Go up out of context. Okay. <laughs> what were those three women talking about? <laughs> it's gone really strange. <laughs> Sometimes, do you, I guess that leads me to that question of when, when you're writing, do you, how do you know something's funny? Like sometimes I'm sitting there and, you know, I'm laughing, yeah. but that could just be me because I'm bent. Like yeah. nowhere is too far for me. I never or laugh you. At it. I ne- no, <laughs> true. no, 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 it's true. But I never laugh at when I'm writing. And I don't even think I'm thinking consciously of it being funny. I think you're um, because I am reporting on this world that I can see very clearly in my head, mm. and I know how their characters will respond to each other. It's almost as if um, I'm watching the me talking to the audience with the other woman there and reporting on mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And it's either funny or it's not funny. But the trouble with writing books, we were discussing it earlier. If you're a stand-up comic, you can hear people laughing. Mm. If you're writing books, you don't hear anybody laughing. And it would be good if you could. And sometimes somebody will say, oh, I thought that was quite funny. But I think if you write humour, you've got, you haven't got 100% of your audience mm. because it's, um, it's a much more subtle way of being humorous and a stand-up where you yeah. can play to an audience and you can hear people laughing and you know which way you're it's going. It's very subjective mm. humour in fiction because – and this is why I think it's quite difficult as well because when you're, you, when you're on stage you, you can make a mm. face or you can look at someone with your eyes and, yeah. and all we've got is like black ink on wood pulp and trying to make someone laugh from a sheet of paper. Like, I think that's pretty tricky. I think um, it's really tricky. And not everyone's going to get it because yeah, I'll get subjective. In, the, in a room like this. Like, generally what will happen, there'll be one person that just looks at it like this. Mm. <laughs> and energetically, I don't care about you. I want them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Why do we want that we cannot have? Like That's the thing about humour, isn't it? When yeah. people don't get it. I know. And you think, do you want me to explain it to you? And of course you can't. <laughs> yeah, now, the reason this was so funny was because it was the lattice down her bum. <laughs> and it was hilarious, right? And everyone's going, no, oh, this really wasn't. <laughs> it is. It is. I, I would love... Um, did, we didn't get an embarrassing story from you, Tony. From me? Yeah, well, you avoided that one. Yeah. You let her take the anal lattice <laughs> joke. Well, I did the kind of anal you I did made that, an that anal did you have an embarrassing <laughs> do you have a, like an embarrassing story that's happened to you of, of late that because you kind of I collect like when they happen I don't like them but uh, well you think of one I'll just do this yes. really quick the other day go to the doctor for a pap smear because they've been sending the letter for about three years and I went oh, all right today's the day have to get in all the women are busy have to see the dude I walk in and the doctor goes, I say, I'm here for the pap smear. Apparently I'm supposed to have one. I'm a bit overdue. And he goes, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Goes, well, the thing is, I'm a bit out of practice. Oh. (laughs) I got, he wouldn't do it. I got rejected. (laughs) By a doctor for a pap smear. I'm like, well, how about a breast examination? (laughs) hilarious. <laughs> you do wonder how his wife handles that. I know. Like, so goes, oh. I'm not sure where you are, Dobby. <laughs> yeah. It's like that fart and give us a clue joke. Isn't it? <laughs> it is funny though, isn't it? Because it, I mean, as women, I think that's also one thing which is heaps of fun as well, is how much fun it is laughing at men. <laughs> isn't it? Because they're, I'm sorry, but you're so funny. Um, <laughs> Do you find that in writing male characters, how much fun that is? Actually, it's funny you should say that. I've, I've, I realise I get a lot of my resentment out in my male <laughs> and I And I realise that, I mean, look, this is a lovely audience and every, every man here, I love you. I do. 
But I was talking to somebody last night at dinner and saying that our generation of women, if you went to dinner, you were a man on either side of you, and the men would talk across you like that because you were not really of any great interest. And I was explaining to somebody that um, once we were, I was in a political conversation and I, they were, both were talking about um, politics and I naturally, of course, could not possibly understand them. And I said, well, I interviewed the Prime Minister today. And they went, kept talking. <laughs> I actually realise I'm carrying that bitter hurt. <laughs> and it probably is 25 years, now you mention how long. <laughs> when I say I process quickly, not really. No. No. Some things are worth hanging on to, and that, that is... It's interesting, um, there's often been a statement that I've read many times, and being a comedian for 30 years, I've heard it, and it's, women aren't funny, mm. you know, and that sits out there. Have, have you... Is that something even as a comedic writer, as writers that you've come across to, oh, women aren't funny, that's just a niche, that's women's humour. Men couldn't read that. I haven't really found that, but but men are kind of still a bit of a novelty to me. I still find them quite charming and very cute <laughs> and I still quite, I find them quite interesting. I grew up in a household of all women um, w- with my grandmother and my mother and my sister and the female dog and the female cat and the female goldfish and then I went to a convent school um, and I really it, t- it took me like into my 20s before I met one um, and and I still kind of find them kind of adorable and oh. and you know I'm I, I yeah they're isn't yeah. it sweet yeah it's like having, I still it's like having a guinea pig <laughs> Sometimes I let him in the house. Yes, I, I, I still. And when I was in my early twenties, I, I went through a period. Actually, in my teens, I went through a period of being very interested in male pronouns. Like his, his is quite a funny word, and him, because I just didn't hear these words so often. Like not at school, like the the nuns never said his or him, and at home we never said his or him. So I kind of was like him, him. What an odd! Like I couldn't quite even get it over the sound of the word. And their names are so adorable, like Craig and Kevin. I find them really kind of. I'm I'm, I'm still not quite. So do you not write when you're writing your humorous characters? Do you think? Kevin is hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> already is hilarious. Just by his name. But I also hilarious. think this yeah. is why I've had a, a, like a number of marriages because as soon as one would ask me, I'd go, "Oh, you're quite adorable." Yes, I'll say yes for that. <laughs> and, you know, because it was such—I never thought I'd have one of my own. You know, you grow up and you think, you know. Oh my God, you're—you are a character. <laughs> <laughs> you need to do what Barbara does and write yourself. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But no so one would funny. believe her. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> there can't be a woman that can't use the word him because she's never heard it sitting in her room, surrounded by girls with dogs with vaginas. Going, him, him, him. <laughs> so my, my, my mother had a very view of, of them that they were, you know, very important, very important. When you got one, you had to very make sure you did the ironing. That was something that was important. When to look after them, like, you know, you, you had responsibilities. You, you know, you couldn't just get one and then not look after it. Like, you know, she would say, I'm not doing it for you. You wanted it, so you have to do it. So, so one of those, you had to do the ironing and dinner on the table. But, like, she had no, she was very um, extremely sexist in terms of, like, they're not as smart as us, no, but you've really, but they're really, they're very important and you need to take steps to make sure they're happy and That's create right. an environment for them and take the responsibility. <laughs> like, if you're going to get one, take the responsibility. And they're good for lifting things yeah. and blocking things. Or, but can they dig a hole? <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is the truth. One of, one of the... Um, I think in Jane Cara's new book, um, Accidental Feminist, she, she, she brings up a really interesting point where she talks about women's anger. And she believes that women have become funnier and funnier because we're finally properly angry. Are you angry? Oh, come on. Right. <laughs> do you th- what do, would you say? Do you think, that is do you, interesting. Isn't that an interesting assertion? I hadn't thought about. No, because I haven't. Because women's rage has always been seen as something we're not permitted. It was don't be angry, don't lose it. Nobody likes an angry woman. Uh, and, and it's something new for us. Do, do, do you, 
I don't know. I don't know that that's true. I mean, I'm not, I'm I don't not know. sure she, that anger is She made is it, it up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah so talking, I, I think, um, I, I don't think it is anger because uh, I think it's much more of a, women are probably able now to express their sense and they have the courage to express their great interest in the absurd and how absurd everything is. Mm. And even though that's what traditionally what funny women do, from Jane Austen mm. down um, or up, I don't know, which way was it going? Um, um, but I think it's not – I don't feel rage equals anger, but it can do. I don't actually think the source of humour is gender-specific. I think men and women probably have exactly the same sources of humour, which is that – this is funny because human beings are funny. Mm. And every single circumstance you find yourself in from, you know, death, birth, extreme illness, poverty, will have an hilarious side to it, even though it doesn't feel like that at the time. Mm. There will be something absurd yeah. within it, something absurd within a human response to horror that is funny. And I think it's that's much more pertinent than rage. I don't actually get oh, that sense of um, humour coming out of anger, but it can do. I just I don't do think it's... Anyway, go back and tell her. Didn't like I'm going back. Sorry, Jane. <laughs> well, I'm afraid. We had a panel. Agree. <laughs> and one out of three didn't agree with you. But it, it is that thing, isn't it? Because even in the series, my, my friend told me the story. She was giving birth. And you wouldn't think there's anything funny in giving birth. And she had a Russian obstetrician. And he walked past and he goes, big, big bush, big bush, being like big push. But all she heard was him saying, big bush. <laughs> <laughs> and she was mortified. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose I, I'm just thinking of when I gave birth to my first daughter and halfway through a very difficult moment, my husband said, just going outside to get some crisps. <laughs> <laughs> so there probably is rage in there somewhere. <laughs> I reckon there would be. Imagine you're dilating, the head's crowning, crimp, you know, the sound of yeah. chips. <laughs> <laughs> and, and dropping crumbs. In yeah, the crumbs. Onto the umbilical cord. <laughs> that's a moment. See, they're the details that make things funny. Yeah. And that's what you two have to, when you're writing, what you do so well, is you include those details because you have to give pictures mm. because it's not funny unless I can see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope that's true. <laughs> I feel like it is. Look, look it, we've had a really brilliant time up here Um Thank you. I want you to put your hands together for Barbara Toner. Thank you. Please. And, and also put your hands together for Tony Jordan. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. This session was recorded live as part of Byron Mitis Festival 2019. You can find other recorded talks and discussions from the festival on our website, byronmitisfestival.com.